it didn't take them long to start learning how to use combined arms warfare and uh, develop sophisticated tactics. And while the Germans assumed that, that they would kick in the door and the entire rotten structure would collapse, what they did was blunt the edge of their advance on these human wave attacks and these like no step back last stand orders uh, until the Soviet Union actually learned how to fight a modern war, which they didn't know how to do. Uh, you know, things really picked up whenever Zhukov, who had just finished defeating the Japanese using combined right. arms warfare and armored spearheading techniques, when he brought that back to the Western Front, you know, it really bolstered the defense of the Soviet Union. He doesn't shy away from emphasizing the massive contributions of the USSR to the European war effort, noting that three quarters of German soldiers killed and equipment destroyed was a result of Red Army operations. It's he says three lot. quarters, but it's actually 85%. You know, 75 to 85% is what people say. Um, he acknowledges the importance of Lindley's aid, but notes that the crucial days in the defeat of the Wehrmacht were th those days in 1941 where the USSR stood alone. And he posits that the USSR could have defeated Germany without Lindley's aid, but it would have taken much longer. Amelot well, says like, that, not yeah, Stahel. The, the <laughs> yeah. USSR would also have had a lot, a lot more casualties. Right, which they still have not recovered from. Right. It's like 70 something years later. Well, okay. So like how much does he go into the stuff about Lynn Lease and the differences? Like how much of an impact and, you know, know, what does he, does he flesh out that, that argument at all? Or is that kind of just, well, I mean, he, he talks about, I mean, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the war itself. Like most of his stuff is about preparation for and aftermath of, oh. but he, he does say that, uh, 1941 into 42, when before any Lindley's arrived, uh, the Soviet Union defeated Germany in the Soviet Union. And like I said, like I mentioned, all of Stahel's statistics. And in fact, I believe he cites Stahel in in this book. Let me let me look. I'm going to see if he cites Stahel, which that's a great book. Your cats are making very cool sounds. Yeah, we got three kittens in here, and they're all. Two of them are tackling each other, and one of them is currently trying to climb up my feet. Ow, son of a bitch. Stop it. Ugh. This is Wolfman. He uh, he looks like a werewolf. Yeah, he's trying to climb up my leg because he wants to – he gets in my lap and just sits there and chills. Uh, and usually I'm sitting on the ground when he tries to do it, but since I'm in a chair, he needs to climb up my leg to get into my lap, which is terrible. You should see my legs, dude. They're just totally scratched up. Nina, the mom, has tackled the baby and is cleaning him, and he's screaming <laughs> because he does not want to be held down. I kind of sympathize. Okay, so like I thought, he, he references Stahel several times, specifically on the section that I just mentioned. So that's an important book that yeah. we should all add to our list. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it's very nerdy, middle-aged guy who cares about World War II history stuff, but like... That's what I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of, um, how much does he go into Zhukov and his experience on the Eastern Front, you know, and what he brought over? Does he go into that much at all? Because that's that's definitely something oh, yeah. I, mean, that's, I would like to learn about a lot more. He talks about, in Adela, talks a lot about uh, Zhukov's experience at Kalkingol defeating the Japanese and how that experience was uh, brought to bear on the Germans whenever he was transferred to the Western Front. Yeah, so, I mean, like, 
like that's that's part of his thesis is that cock and goal and uh lake what's the lake lake uh something. i don't know hang on i'm gonna look lake kasan yeah were actually really important because they're uh they're talked about generally as skirmishes but like they were yeah like they're talked about and for the most part, I mean, even as far as I know, it's really just as far as I knew before. Anyways, they were never um, they're not treated as significant campaigns at all. No, but like there were 73,000 okay. Soviet troops and 30,000 Japanese troops with 25,000 Soviet casualties and 20,000 Japanese casualties. Yeah, that's like not a small skirmish at all. No, not it's like it, it's an enormous major battle. And I guess the. uh I mean, think about that. 25,000 uh, Soviet casualties. Yeah, that's like a whole war. Yeah. I guess part of it is just because World War II is supposed to be about the U.S. fought the Japanese and then the U.S. and also the Soviet Union fought the Germans. Yeah, so let's and- see. The the Japanese lost about like 300 and something thousand troops in World War II Against the United States, 300-something thousand casualties, not all dead, you know, wounded. Right, and like to- total casualties, yeah. Japanese casualties at a Kalk and Gol? Were 20,000 in one battle. It's insane. Yeah. In one battle, which that's nuts. <laughs> it spends a little bit of time talking about the counterinsurgency campaigns afterwards, which basically revived another mass terror after the war. And he said that the Red Army was incredibly efficient at, at dispatching insurgents. See, and, an ins- uh, insurgent campaigns are something you just never hear about at all. Right. And those went on for you know several years after the war, I think until 1949. Jesus. But, oh, well, into the late 40s, but even the Ukrainian insurgent army wasn't defeated, completely defeated until 1956. 